chapter 2. James chapter 2. And we're going to read from verse number 8. It's near the end of your Bible, uh, Hebrews, uh, James, 1 Peter is the general trajectory of where you need to be. James chapter 2 and um, verse number 8. And this is what we read. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and act, so so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And we'll end a reading at verse 13. I had a sobering thought last week when I realized that it was 20 years to the day since I'd received my A-level results. Now that makes you feel old, doesn't it? In my experience, generally speaking, it was the case that you got what you deserved. When it came to your GCSEs and A-levels, you worked hard uh, and it paid off. Uh, You lazed about and you ended up with E's and N's and U's, I think it was. Last summer, uh, there were plenty of of complaints about the system uh, used and it was changed, if you remember, at the last minute. This year, we had a whole new regime and yes, it was a horrible time and we wouldn't want to be there, but... Can the results just keep getting better? That was the question some people were asking. We had a record-breaking year again. Did everyone get what they deserve? Or did some get more? I don't know. It's not, it's not wise for me to, to, to delve too deeply into that, is there? I don't know much about it. Maybe Brian knows more about it than I do. Um, perhaps there are those who are saying very little. Those who, who they didn't interview on the television uh, about their results, remember they're all you know they're all busy that morning with the camera crew and and at the school, and maybe there are those that didn't appear on the TV because you know what they're they're keeping their heads down, maybe, for they recognise that maybe they got better than they deserved. Who knows? Sometimes um, you get sisters that are very alike. Uh, perhaps uh, people find it hard uh, to tell the difference between them. I want to tell you about two sisters, and they're going to come up on the screen. One's called Mercy, and the other's called Grace. We're going to talk about Grace tonight, okay, at 7 o'clock. But Sister Mercy, well, she's going to occupy us just now. They spend a lot of time together, Mercy and Grace. They are often found together. Yes, they're found in the same verses in the Bible. Here's a few. Psalm 86, verse 15, but you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, mercy and grace. 
slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Psalm 116 verse 5 reads, Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. And Nehemiah 9 verse 31 reads, Nevertheless, in your great mercies you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. And we could go on and on, I assure you. Uh, they are sisters, grace and mercy, who, who stick together, two peas in a pod. They, but, 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 like, but like any close in appearance or close in relationship sisters, they are not the same. They are distinct, they are different. Biblically, both grace and mercy need to be understood in the kind of context of God's justice. Now, five or six weeks ago, Andrew Banks spoke about justice from this pulpit. God is, is just. Uh, he, he is a judge, a good judge who sees all and knows all that happens in the world and, and who meets out justice, uh, not fudged justice, not biased judgment, but totally fair and totally deserving justice. And mercy and grace, they stand in the context of that justice. And this morning, what you have to understand is, is that all of these boil down to deserving. Deserving is the key issue this morning. Getting or not getting what you deserve. Justice, well, that is us getting what we deserve. Mercy is us not getting what we deserve. And grace is us getting what we don't deserve. Now, we'll unpack all of that over the course of today. But if mercy, which we're focused on this morning, sister mercy, uh, is, is us not getting what we deserve, then the obvious question is what do we deserve, isn't it? What do we deserve? Well, this is not a popular message. This is not easy to, to, to take. This is not a, an easy pill to swallow. Uh, uh, God is just. Uh, it, it's, it's who he is. It's one of his attributes. He, he's the judge that we will all appear before. He's the source of all justice in himself. And he isn't there applying someone else's rules that he's not really sure about. He, he's there with his own rules. And this is shown in the part of the Bible that, that most clearly teaches what God's justice requires. That the law, what is required by God for us to be right and righteous and accepted. Well, it's there uh, and God sets the boundaries. He de declares what's right and wrong. He reveals that to his people. He reveals that to us in the Ten Commandments. There, when they were received in Exodus at uh, Mount Sinai. Uh, when the, the tablets, the original tablets are broken um, because of what happens when Moses comes down the mountain, but they're replaced. They're given. Uh, Moses is given another set of tablets, and and in, in Exodus 34, this is what's just happened, and this is what we read: the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, "The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious." You see it there, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Mercy and grace in the context of keeping God's just law. God is perfect in justice. That means if you break the law in one part, you break it in all parts. 
The law is a whole. Uh, yes, it came on, on two tablets of stone, but think of it like a, like a, like a large plate. Uh, and it's kind of divided into sections, but it's still one plate. And you break one part of it, you break one bit of the plate, then you break it all. We read this in James 2, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. There's no grading system on, in this situation, is there? There's no sort of you know, A and A star or for a certain percentage of people and then the next slice goes to, to Bs and the next slice goes to Cs and so on. No, it's, it's 100% perfect with God or it's a, a you, it's a feel. He's perfect in justice. So he requires his law to be kept perfectly. Uh, that, that means 100% of the time, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year for the rest of your life. And, of course, his sentencing is perfect too. What is the sentence? Well, I can tell you this morning that you are proof that it hasn't been carried through. And the reason I know this is that you are currently breathing in and breathing out. Each of you. Yes, I've just checked. Each of you. Breathing in and breathing out. God has given us days and months and years so far, and we're still in the days and months and years right now in this next moment, aren't we? You see, that's what that verse in Nehemiah was about that we read at the beginning. God did not make an end of them. He showed them mercy, we read. Many years he bore with his disobedient people. They, they were warned by God's Spirit through the prophets, and, but he was merciful to them. And there isn't one of us that would pretend to have kept God's holy law perfectly these days either. We have stolen and lied and looked at a man or woman inappropriately. We've dishonored our parents. We've, we've placed our hope and time and worth in other things. And, and that's just my list. What's on yours? What's on yours? You see, there's a there's a verse in Ezekiel 18 that isn't on anyone's wall. It's not in any of those Christian bookmarks that you get or on a Sunday school rubber that you got as a prize. And it's this. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. Now, the reason it's not on a wall plaque or a bookmark in your Bible or in a Sunday school prize that you got. It's not that it's too long. It's rather long, but the first bit isn't. It's fairly obvious. It's not that it's too hard to understand. It's, 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 it's not those because it's straight, it's clear, it's, it's obvious. It's because it's too tough. Isn't that right? It's too difficult to take. The soul who sins shall die. To sin is to break God's law. To sin is to choose my way rather than God's way. To sin is to ignore the warning and to carry on anyway. And that comes with consequences. The one who sins must die. The, the wages of sin is death, we read in Romans 6. And so we know that God hasn't carried it out because we're still breathing. We're still breathing. Of course, the punishment must fit the crime. And the reason we think the punishment 
doesn't fit the crime in this case, what's the reason? Why do we think that's harsh? Do we we really understand the severity of, of the crime? Do we? Is that the reason why we think it's harsh? Because we don't understand the severity of the crime? We think it's not that big a deal, maybe? Partly, yeah. Partly, is it? Let's ask the question, is it because forgiveness is, is free from our perspective? Indeed, it is free. You see, we have a habit of treating things that are free with disdain. Prescriptions are free, aren't they, in Northern Ireland? I think that's right. And so we, we, we treat this stuff with less care when it's free. Oh, I've lost that inhaler. Never worry. We'll, we'll get another one. No problem. I had a, a lecturer at college, and he used to talk about things like this. And he says, can you imagine, theoretically, if food at the supermarket became free to everyone? What would happen? Yeah, there'd be a lot of waste, wouldn't there? There'd be serious piles on those checkouts because it's free, and no one's paying for it. Someone else is paying for it, obviously, but it's free to us, and we, you treat things that are free lightly. But we forget that our forgiveness is free, yes, but it's holy God that we disobey. We, we don't treat that lightly. And he says what we deserve is death. And not just at the end of a long life either. It's, it's instant death. It's God pulling the plug. We think it's kind of harsh, don't we, when we hear about God striking down Ananias and Sapphira in Acts or, or Uzzah whenever he touches the Ark of the Covenant. And we think God needs to sort of listen to our feedback a little bit on this, you know, and, and sort of calm that thing down a bit, you know, because keep that thing to a minimum, would you, would you God? Because cause if, if I'm ever going to read my Bible with, with this friend of mine in work or this guy that I met who, who wants to read the Bible with me, and we get to that passage, well, I'm going to find it really difficult, God, explaining to him how, you know, you, you were so harsh. But we misunderstand. We misunderstand. Because in the same chapter of Ezekiel 18, in verse 25, God responds to such pushback. He says, Hear now, O house of Israel, is my way not just? Is it not your ways that are not just? God says, you're, you're the unjust ones. It's not me. The take-home pay of sin is death, the wages. And the truth is, this is the baseline, this is the normal, this is the standard. Sinners must die. It's that serious. It's that much of an offense to God. And anything other than this, anything other than that, should come with the Bible lighting your way to lead you to that conclusion that you have been in receipt of incredible mercy. God has been so merciful to you. And doesn't that change things? You and I have not got what we deserved. You're blessed. And you're blessed in such a, a turnaround way. And, 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 and that, that makes you thankful. It should. When you should be in a cheap standard room and they put you in the best master suite in the hotel. Well, you, you have cause to compare, don't you? And you have cause to be thankful. It changes things for you. When you realize that you deserve to die at your first sin and have not been cut off, you have the cause to compare and be thankful. 
and to be a changed man and to be a changed woman. You have not been afflicted with boils or made homeless as a result and are living in a ditch now because you've sinned at the side of the road. Maybe a sort of halfway house kind of punishment that, wouldn't it be? No, no, you've received mercy. God the merciful has blessed you with mercy. With our Bibles open and read, our deserving meters are reset, aren't they? The sort of gauge. They, we, they don't read, you know, normal equals comfortable home, 75 to 90 years on the planet, good standard of living, plenty of disposable income, 2.4 children, couple of pets, two holidays a year. No. The Bible resets our meter to say what we deserve is death. An instant at that. And that should, of course, force us to think about the severity of sin and be incredibly and constantly thankful. If we understand, that is. If we understand. Secondly, what does Jesus deserve? Ephesians 2, verses 4 to 5, read this. Um, the following is on the screen. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Incredibly well-known verses. Ephesians 2 is a very well-known chapter. But don't miss what it's saying this morning through familiarity. God is not just a bit merciful. He is rich in the stuff. Rich. He has loads and loads in the bank, if you like. And from his resources, from his resources, he sends from his very self. He sends his only son. He sends Jesus as an act of mercy, as an act, as a, as a mercy ministry like none other before it or after. He sends him one night to an animal shelter in a small hole-in-the-hedge type place called Bethlehem. Uh, he, he works a miracle in the womb of Mary. And by the Holy Spirit, he is, he is formed and found in a human body. The one who has always been at the Father's side took on flesh. And all the trouble of living in a world with sinners as a real person. It's an act of mercy. What does, um, what does Jesus deserve? Let's think about that. What, what about Jesus? Let's think about him. Let's think about his life. Okay. Think about what you know about Jesus and what he deserves. I mean, he's, he's, um, he's the one who, who obeys um, his father every day of his life. That's very clear in the Bible. He, he, even as a young boy, when, when he meets people, he, remember how, how, he, how he deals with them? He's, he's compassionate with them. He's, he, he's kind with them, isn't he? He, he? he sort of looks for good in people, doesn't he? He, he, he does good. Uh, he, he lives a, a good life, a perfect life. He, he heals sick people. He, he takes time with people. He, he mourns with the mourning. He, he stands with people. He's, he, he's the man of mercy to the extreme, isn't he? He's the man of mercy. He deserves a knighthood if he was part of the Queen's citizens. Wouldn't that be right? He would deserve a knighthood. He would deserve to be, to be Sir Jesus Christ. He would deserve to be the, the, the well done, to have the well done of everyone. Oh, honour and glory and acclaim. He would deserve worldwide recognition. 
He would deserve even to rule such a one. But what does he get? What does he get? He gets slandered. He gets threatened. He gets judgment. He gets taken captive and tried at an unjust trial before an unjust judge where pragmatism and people-pleasing lead Pilate to sentence him to death. Death. Even though he did nothing wrong, even though he had a perfect record of keeping God's commandments, and for his punishment, he's hung there on a Roman cross between two criminals who, by the way, are fully deserving of what they faced. On the cross, the merciful one faces no mercy. The full cruelty of humanity in the Roman execution system is his to endure. And on the cross, he faces the justice of God as well. He faces the white-hot wrath of God against sin. And again, we're forced to compare what someone deserves and what someone gets and be thankful. We're forced with the well-lit path of, of the Bible to compare what Jesus deserves with what Jesus gets and to be thankful as a result. Because, of course, as you and I know, this is no ordinary death. This is no ordinary man. Uh, he, he is a real man, but he's not ordinary. Uh, this is a death that involves transfer and exchange and imputation and all sorts of complex uh, theological things. But, but it boils down to He's dying there for us. The reason we're to look at Jesus and compare his treatment and be thankful is that we're supposed to be up there too. Like one of those two thieves, we should imagine ourselves up there too. Deserving of death for our record, for, our, for what we've done, for breaking God's commands. Remember, it's, it's not on your fridge, but it's true what we deserve. By a miracle of magnificent proportions, we are instead replaced there by Jesus. We have our place taken there by Jesus. And we do two comparisons this time. We compare what he deserves with what he gets, along with comparing what we deserve and what we now get in him. And we realize that we're blessed to the extreme and changed by him. As a result, God being rich in mercy has loved us to the extreme. God being rich in mercy has, has been gracious to us in Christ. God being rich in mercy has exchanged Christ's perfect record for ours. He's punished him. He's meted out his justice on him instead. And, and as judged, he's, he's, he's made him the condemned man and you and I go scot-free. You and I go scot-free. Jesus, um, when he's walking around the earth, he tells stories, doesn't he? We heard about one of them earlier. And in one day he tells a story about two men in Luke chapter 18. They're both uh, down the temple to pray one day. And one of them is a, is a religious leader, a Pharisee. And he, and he stands by himself, lifts his eyes towards heaven and, and thanks God that he's not like other men. That he deserves better than them. That he fasts, of course, twice a week and tithes all that he has. He even thanks God that he's not like the other man who's standing some distance away. 
The second man is a, is a tax collector. He's not so sure of himself. He keeps his eyes down. He beats his breast, which is a sign in those days of sorrow and, and humility. And he prays these words. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You see, there we have a man who knows, firstly, that he's a sinner. He's also a man that knows what sinners deserve. He knows that they deserve to be punished by God. And he's a man who cries out to God for mercy so that he doesn't receive what he deserves. Now, both men were sinners, of course. Uh, One didn't think he was, but he was. But one thought he deserves God's favor, and the other recognizes that he doesn't. And Jesus, the merciful God of heaven, says this, he went home justified. He went home right with God. He went home in receipt of the very mercy he asked for. You see, see, God be merciful to me, a sinner, is always a request that is answered, yes. Yes. Habakkuk says, "In, in your wrath, Lord, remember mercy. And when we come through Jesus, God always does. He always does. For that is what God loves to do. That is who he is. He's rich in the stuff. When someone on earth knows he or she is sinful and knows what they deserve, then he freely offers his grace and mercy in Jesus. He answers that cry for mercy with mercy, and he answers yes because he answers with Jesus. Finally, this morning, let's ask the question, what do they deserve? Mercy was a requirement in the Old Testament for caring for poor people, for reaching out to those who were hurting, who were oppressed. In Zechariah 7, verse 9 to 10, we read, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. You see, that verse is saying that because of who God is and because of what's in his character, then you, as one who follows and knows him, must reach out in mercy too. What they deserve from God's Old Testament people is is concern and care that costs, that hits them in the pocket. And it's certainly still the case that those who follow Christ are to act mercifully to those who are in difficulty. Others who are in need, widows and orphans, are categories of those that are in in need in James. We have what we call mercy ministries today, like, like the food bank, like when we have a special appeal for an earthquake in Croatia, which happened a few months back. Now, it's possible that you could soothe yourself with something like this. Those people are poor because they made bad decisions and spent all their money on their addiction. Or something like this, perhaps God has struck them with an earthquake because of their nation's sin. But no, no, no. 
Because to do that is to effectively say they had it coming. They deserved it. And that is not the attitude of a Christian. Because you cannot have judgment, ill-informed, assumption-heavy judgment, as your go-to when you see people suffering and in need as a Christian. That's, that's self-righteous, isn't it? That's like, the, that's like the Pharisee, for sure, in Jesus' story. Thankfully, there aren't many who would utter the words they had it coming out loud. But I mean, I guess you could do it on, on the keyboard easier. Or I guess you could functionally avert your eyes and do nothing when you see need, real need in front of you. But James doesn't allow us off the hook with this attitude. In verse 12 of the passage that we read in James 2, it says this, So speak and act as those who are judged under the law of liberty. For the Christian, it is, a, it is mercy first. For we know the merciful man of, of Calvary, that, that man of Calvary who won my heart from me and died to set me free, blessed man of Calvary. That's the old hymn, isn't it? For judgment, we read, is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. See, we know as Christians that at the last day, at the judgment seat, we will be acquitted. We will receive God's mercy. But verse 13 stands as a stern warning to those who presume that they can carry on with merciless living. It's surely our responsibility to, to foster and adopt needy children from care than perhaps probably more, I would say, more for sure than, than currently happens in our gospel churches across Northern Ireland. The need grows all the time. They said it on the news this week for those to to care for foster uh, children who require foster and adoption. But what about, what about someone a little closer in proximity? What about people a little closer to home? What if, um, what if you've been wronged by your relative or you've, someone spread vicious rumors about you online and you have this golden opportunity to, to strike back? What do you do? Do you take it? Or do you show mercy? What if your child really lets you down and deserves the full extent of the punishment that, that's practiced in your house, right? What do you do? We say justice. Give them justice. Pull out the justice card. Give them what they deserve. Give them what's coming. And maybe they do, but what about how much you have been forgiven? Is that not far more? When you do the comparison thing, right? When you compare. When you compare what they deserve with what you deserve. When you compare what Jesus got with what he deserved. And when you compare what you got in him with what you deserved. Then you're, you're coming up with different answers, aren't you? You're coming up with thanks and gratitude and a different answer for them. Because you're a changed man, you're a changed woman because you met Jesus, you're living for him. What does it teach your children if, about the gospel if you explain that yes, they deserve the punishment for their disobedience, but you're going to be merciful? You're going to be merciful. That's like a parable, isn't it? That's powerful. 
What does it teach your relative if they know that, yeah, they deserve your, the wrath of your uh, rebuke, but you know what? You're going to be merciful because you've been to the cross and had mercy poured on you. James is very clear here. He's speaking to those who've been saved, to those who've been forgiven and brought into the family of God through Christ. And he says, "What well, you know what? Those who are Christ's are still under God's watchful eye of judgment on earth. God's still watching. And he's expecting mercy from you for others. In other words, God still judges Christians in this matter. He's judging a self-righteous person with an attitude or action to go with it. For that attitude is empty of the very mercy that the gospel is full of. Think about the parable that, that was mentioned earlier in Matthew 18. The man who clears the massive debt of his servant. And yet the same servant goes and he demands very little. He's the unforgiving servant we call him. And he doesn't fare very well at the end. Because he ends up in jail. And Jesus comes back, back with this clear warning, just in case we think it doesn't apply to us. And he says, so will also my heavenly Father do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Blessed are the merciful, says Jesus, for they shall receive mercy. You see, to know Jesus is to know one whose mercy is more, as we say. No matter the darkness, no matter how dark the night, the morning comes with new mercies, lamentations. Isn't that the the famous verse? New mercies. For God is merciful. He doesn't give us what we deserve. He's rich in the stuff. Mercy. And so changed by him in a relationship with merciful Jesus, we can, we can be merciful to others. We can, we can help them. We can forgive them. We can, we can withhold our wrath from them. You know, we can. We don't, need to, we don't need to keep our heads down in this scenario. You know, God won't change his mind. We've got, we've been, you know, we, we haven't, been given what we deserve but you know what keep your head up share it with the world tell them he's not going to change his mind put it on the news tell everyone you know Jesus Christ has taken what we deserve and in his act of mercy has has given us so much better and so because of his act of mercy we too can be merciful We're going to sing. I'm going to invite Ruth forward as we...